Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. What's my story? In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. When I asked Oscar-nominated screenwriter Terry Tatchell what she'd like to share about herself, she asked, Do you want me to share what I'm best known for? Or what I think of myself as? What a powerful question. If you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know what my answer was. And so it was a privilege and a treat to chat with Terry about her path as a screenwriter, author of children's books, and co-owner of a whimsical tea shop. So, oh yeah, everything we were talking about before, you know, it's a good yeah. thing we weren't recording. Yeah. <laughs> naughty teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> naughty teenage years. And lakeside cabins. This, right. It's All like right. the setup so of a movie. Now. I had no naughty, naughty teenage years. <laughs> I mean, that is a trope, right? That's a genre of movie, right? I mean, it is. Oh, boy, do I have a lot of material. <laughs> <laughs> One day, maybe. One day. <laughs> uh, so, Terry Tatchell, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Thank you. After listening to so many of your podcasts, I'm really honored and excited to be here. For people who don't know who you are, which may be a lot of people listening, um, what would you like to say about yourself? Um, it's funny. I, I knew that question was coming. Having yes. other ones. And this morning I was like, okay, I've got to think about what I'm going to answer. And I was like, <laughs> no, actually, what I love about your podcast is how authentic and free-flowing it is. So I didn't even think about it. I love that. Um, yeah. So no, I'm, uh, I, I'm probably one of the reasons I love your podcast is everyone does so many things on it because I've always had trouble defining what the main thing about me is. Mm. I think what I'm most, I'll, I'll start with what I'm most well known for mm -hmm. um, would be having co-written uh, District 9 mm. um, because I was incredibly lucky and got some fun nominations for that that got so that tends to be the thing that people know me for right um it's definitely not the thing that i know myself most for though mm. um and that does it does shift around a lot right now what my current thing that i wish i was most well known for is uh, as a children's author because that was always my lifelong dream somehow ah. I, Somehow I slipped into R-rated science fiction. Not sure how that happened. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> then, a very short distance between the two. Yes, yeah. And then the other thing I'm known for in Vancouver, anyway, is um, I have a, a tea salon, which actually turned out to be a restaurant. But um, I, I had it in my head that it would be much simpler than that. And it's called Neverland Tea Salon, and that's in Vancouver, mm. So, so a lot of people know me for that as as well. It's sort of a whimsical 
Uh, we do high tea, tipsy teas, all sorts mm -hmm. of things. So those are those are probably wonderful. My, my three things I'm known for to various different people. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so we could talk about District Nine and. I know that you talked to the self-publishing show a lot about that and that process. And yes, and, yeah, and happy to go in whatever direction. But but what I love, like, just sticks out is what you said is, you know, what I identify as and what I wish I was known for is the children's book thing. So tell me about, like, how do you go from writing screenplays to? Being a kid's author, little kid's book <laughs> author. Well, considering the gap in between, it wasn't it wasn't easy. But I mean, there's no question. Always that that was always what my fantasy. Mm. At the end of your life, you could look back on what you would be proud of. And to me, it has always been if I could write uh, stories that inspire kids to feel something mm. um i have lots of different things L lots of things i want to write so lots of different things so um it, it that was always there i mean I, I i don't think i really like so many writers believed in that that could be a career when i was younger so i sort of got hijacked in one direction and then mm -hmm. ended up getting it i was really fortunate to get a scholarship to film school a full scholarship. So that took me in the screenplay direction. Mm. Still, there wasn't a moment or a day that I wasn't every morning doing my morning pages. And today I'm going to start my children's book. Today mm. I'm going to start my children's book. <laughs> and uh, it took, it, I don't know why it took so long, but I think it just, everything came together with an idea for a series. Yeah. Um, and that idea, there's so many things that I wish I was doing. And that idea happened to just snatch up, I would say at least four of them. Mm. And so then I had no choice. If, 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 if the universe is going to hand me an idea that covers that many of my bases, I would be crazy not to move forward with it. And I'm so grateful I did because I'm really, really enjoying working on the whole thing. Right. And, and so Tell me more about that. Like, what are you doing? This is I, I Gets Lucky, I know. Yeah, I, I Gets Lucky is the first book. So the series, it's endangered and misunderstood. Mm. And it it was actually through Pinterest, looking at, or not Pinterest, it was um, Instagram animal stuff that comes out. And I was looking at different animals and finding out about animals I'd never heard of. And then finding out they were endangered. And I was like, well, you, can't, you can't tell me these animals might cease to exist. And I don't. I've never even heard of them. That's terrible. Hmm. And then, so I started looking into them. I just got obsessed one day. And then I found out about this one called an eye-eye. And it's hmm. a type of lemur. And there's various reasons why different animals and different contents, con continents are, um, are endangered. And this one had a particularly gruesome um, and sad reason for being endangered. I just wrote it for, to entertain myself and then decided, okay, well, I, I kind of feel like going ahead with this and then conceived the idea that 100% of the proceeds, not, not even just the profits, but like the sale from each book would mm. go towards the conservation of that animal. Yeah. 
So um, the idea is to do three in Africa at first, but I was just saying to my husband the other day, I'm done my three in Africa now. You have to wait a while to stagger to put them out. But I was like, there's so many animals there that I want to write about. They're so interesting. I don't want to stop. So I may be extending that. I may be doing mm. more in Africa for, for the next yeah, while. That's really exciting. And I love how joyful you are about that. I, I, I hope we got all of that on the recording, but I, had a little drop again what's oh. gonna but like are you gonna like is traveling to visit these animals part of the dream too, oh tra- no that's part of the requirement i will yeah. not let oh. myself put out a book if i have not met the animal oh, so perfect. i uh i went to duke lemur center there's very very few ii's in north america so duke lemur center had one so i went and did lemur keeper for a day mm. and uh, met an eye and I have to be honest after being in a room with an eye um, I get where the legend comes from they are really different than anything any animal I'd ever been around really intense and really mm. quite frightening at mm. first meeting uh, so I think it yeah I do think it's important to to meet to meet the animals yeah sure. so you wouldn't have gotten that vibe if you weren't there in person yeah, no, not a, no. It, and I do, I think to be able to write the story and understand all the sides. I'm going in February, the next book's about a pangolin. So, and there's even fewer of those in North America. So I'm going mm. to Memphis to be introduced to a pangolin, which I'm very excited about. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and what I'm getting from all this, there's a lot of um, pur- purpose and joy from what you're doing, right? Like behind this. Honestly, it's a hundred percent purpose and joy. Yeah. Like it is. It's 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 silly how much I love doing this, and I chose. I went to the London Book Fair last year, and with the intent to decide, I knew I knew a fair bit about self publishing because mm. I had actually uh, worked on a script for of Amanda Hawking's book, and she was the queen of self publishing. Mm-hmm. So I was always very interested in self publishing. So I decided to go to the London Book Fair and see. I didn't know much about it for children's picture books. And I sat in on so many sessions, and I was, it just was very clear very quickly that I wanted to self publish. I wanted to choose the illustrator. I wanted to drive the ship. And then I wanted, more importantly, to be able to get as much of the funds possible to donate to the animal mm. as opposed to a publisher taking it. So it's, it has hasn't just been writing the books it's been learning how to be a publisher and that every step of the way with except for trying to figure out in design <laughs> has been uh-huh. pure pleasure i've really enjoyed it yeah and you're you're probably not writing the type of thing there where other shortcuts are easier given all the graphic nature of what you're working yeah. on have you always with your work felt like you were that much in alignment with like joy and purpose um, no, <laughs> if I, and this is the most alignment I have ever been. It's, mm. I can't imagine anything being better than this. Um, mm. but I mean, I did, I mean, joy and I always need to be having fun. Mm-hmm. I always need like Neverland tea salon is so much fun. We've just got into our, uh, we're in the middle of our sixth year now and it started to get a little boring to me. So we've now invented that it's, we're going to have a Mad Hatter theme. So we're like <laughs> full on decorate. We even went to a prop shop. We are full on decorating. We we're creating the most amazing high tea tower. And it's like, so when things start to get dull to me, then uh-huh. 
I have to invent some new whimsy and, and keep things fresh That's for good. everyone that works with me as well as for myself. So I, I don't, I don't stay stagnant or unhappy very long, hmm. but it definitely, it definitely comes. And if you're co-creating with someone, it's, it can be a bit more challenging. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. And do you want to talk about that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, it's like, I often, I often work with my husband Yeah. Um, and he's a director. So in a way it's, it, it's really great because if what what we did work on together is has a way better chance of actually seeing the light of day because <laughs> um, so often as just a writer you get hired to write things and that's great and you hone your craft the more you write but things getting actually made are I mean once you write it it's off in the hands of the producer and you really mm. have no say in the final product or anything so if yeah you're, if you're creating it with the person that's going to be the director then that mm. is an extremely good place to be in. I, I love that. But if you're creating with a person that's going to be the director, they're also, they, they, they're, they're in charge. They want up you for sure. Yeah. So that makes it a, it's an interesting. Happen. It's an interesting dynamic in a ma marriage situation it, it, where you collaborate, I imagine. Yeah. It, yeah. It was not, it was not an easy one to learn, <laughs> but we've done, Neil's always been very good at uh, isolating things. And so for him, it was never a problem, but for me, it was maybe a bit of a problem. <laughs> right. And is that when you opened the tea shop? <laughs> it, uh, you know what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I opened right after we right after we finished Chappie. Yeah. He was off shooting Chappie literally the same week as Neverland opened its doors. So yeah, I think Neverland was very much a, I needed my own film set. <laughs> yeah. And and that's like a, I, I really appreciate that you acknowledged that for yourself, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's that's a thing that we all have to learn. Yes. So after, you know, these, these years of, you know, writing Oscar nominated screenplays and whatever the Bradbury's and Nebula's, you're finally living your dream. Yeah. You know, there was somebody sent me a cartoon that went in all the papers and they said, is this you? I'm like, no, it can't possibly be me. <laughs> but it was a cartoon of a female I think she was meant to be an actress in an office with her agent. And the agent was saying, now that you've had the Oscars, the Emmys and all these things, maybe we could look at getting you a children's book deal. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I don't get that. Are they like mocking the children's book deal? <laughs> That's not as important. Yeah. <laughs> and then she had brown hair and she kind of looked at me and I'm like, there's no way somebody's creating a cartoon. That, and that's not funny anyway. <laughs> I, I really don't know. Uh-oh. You might be somebody's muse creative. Yeah, muse. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I know I have a friend I just saw last night in a gaming group and like District 9 and Chappie are two of his all-time favorite movies. And so he, He's so excited. I think he might be a little crushed to hear that now you're living your dream with. I know. See, I I should. I need to be careful about that because I don't want to minimize how amazing that is. Oh no, um, we're yeah, we're not doing that. But it's. No. it's I think and, it and is. And also, I'm not stopping writing with Neil. That is not over. Mm. That's still happening. And but the really cool thing is, it's a completely different. Well, I wouldn't say it's a different part of my brain because yeah. I would say the freedom of writing the rhyming prose for kids has definitely unjarred my brain 
Mm. Um, so I am, I believe I am a more confident co-writer now. Mm. So I am a, I'm, I'm quicker. I don't, I don't sit and have conversations in my own head as I, <laughs> as I type the words. So I, I would argue that doing these books has actually made me a stronger, uh, screenwriter. That's awesome. And like you, I imagine like this confidence and like acting with purpose and joy is something that you can take with you to anything you work on, right? Yeah. As an ethos. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So you, you've written a lot more than has probably seen the light of day. Yes. So, yes. Which, which, I mean, I say, I was about to say sadly, but not really sadly because a lot of stuff I've worked on, I've really enjoyed working on it. Mm-hmm. Everything. Uh, maybe not in the moment, but, uh, <laughs> but, and I've always come away from it having, I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I mean, I, for, I mean, for sure you're honing your craft, but I would say more so it's like you get the realization that you're not going to be stuck on if, if any sort of block comes, it's like, it does shift. Mm. It's not the end of the world. You will get through it and you will be proud of what you're done at, what you've done at the end of the day. If you bring your a game. Right. right. So it's, it's, yeah. And I mean, in some stuff, well, no, I, I mean, some stuff I think I've said to myself, well, I hope that doesn't get made, but I think that's just a trick to myself. So I don't be sad when it doesn't get made. <laughs> mm. Mm. And so for screenwriters who are listening to the show, cause I know I have some people in that community, like, like how, how is it that you cope with, with doing a lot of work that doesn't see the light of day? Well, I mean, you get paid for it. So yeah. you Fund That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> and you can fund your, your, yeah. I mean, if I didn't get, if I wasn't writing on stuff that doesn't see the light of the day, yeah. I certainly couldn't launch a children's book series and give a hundred percent of the sale price. Mm. Like I'm not, so I'm funding the illustrator. I'm funding the PR company that's helping me. I'm, and all of that funding right. comes from uh, money that's made on scripts that, that I mean, I would never take a job that I didn't feel like I could bring something to the project of my themes and my backstory. And mm. my, so I would never work just for money. Um, mm. But it's, but also I think if you haven't created it from nothing, then you know, going in, it's not yours. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if whether you're just going to do the best you can to help it, come to but it's not ultimately up to you right and and for people who are writing their own stuff and that's not seeing the light of day because they need those other pieces or whatever it is right like i think my advice there would be patience it's like there's so many stories and so many films where it takes 10 years it takes 15 years no if one avenue doesn't work then definitely I mean, keep trying. Don't take the, the classic one that I always think is JK Rowling. It's like, how many times did she get, did she yeah. get turned down? And it's, you've got to really believe in your vision yeah. and just, just keep at it. I think don't give up. Yeah. So I know, I know some screenwriters like, like it's a different world in 2020 as far as opportunities, like, especially in, in with books, right. The independent, publishing and authorship and you know maybe those avenues aren't as available for screenwriters 
I would, I, I mean, I never like to be negative, but I think it might be a little worse now. Temporarily. I mean, it, it's better in the sense that you, you could go and shoot your own stuff a lot more easily, mm-hmm. but what's getting made in Hollywood, it's a lot harder to get things made. And I don't know if that's because of bigger budget films taking up all them. I'm not sure what it is, but to me, it definitely seems like a more challenging time than perhaps it was. Right. But maybe everyone always says that. Yeah. Would it, would it be a legitimate avenue to, to take those scripts and turn them into novellas? And Oh, I hundred percent. I always tell people like I think it would be way easier to hand somebody a book and get them excited about it and make them think they discovered it mm. and have the screenplay there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think that's the way to go for sure. Yeah. And I, I definitely know people who make a living just writing novellas. And so I yeah. imagine if you paired the two of those things together, it'd be yes. no, absolutely. Pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah. Moving forward, right? Like you've got this tea shop, you're working on these kids books and is there going to be a point like where you get tired of those things again and need to reinvent like um you know the we neverland is i always kind of said in my head 10 years and we're at i guess in well in february i'll have had the space for seven years Mm -hmm. um and but i love it i walk in there and it's just so happy it's so whimsical i can't imagine it not existing um, so, but Vancouver can be challenging with leases. So I can't always, I, I, I think I'm there as long as I have my space. Mm. Um, if the space were to disappear, then I'm not sure that I would move and reinvest. Mm. Um, and children's books, I'm going to keep writing these books and I would love to write more and films. I'm still, I think I had, I t- maybe took a little, a year break from actually writing scripts. Hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of planning and talking and treatment and that kind of thing, but no actual typing. And I'm feeling really excited to get back to that now. Awesome. So I think I have my I, ha- I have my things that are making me happy for the moment. That's great. And so, what do you have to do to keep showing up in the like at the keyboard or in the writer's seat? I am not one of those writers <laughs> that that does so many words a day, so many hours a day. I actually. Every year, every New Year's, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to be that person. <laughs> and this was the first year I didn't say that. I did not. I always do every New Year's Eve. Uh, my daughter and I do the passion test together. I don't know if you're familiar with that. But we do. It's, it's you do your life is ideal. And the way we do it is we write down 25 finishings to that sentence. And, uh, and then you pick the top five you go through. And mm. every year is always, I'm writing every day a certain page count. And this year it didn't even show up in my 25. And I thought, wow, that's a shift. Mm. And I feel excited about writing, which is also a shift. Mm. <laughs> so maybe there's, I mean, every personality is different. And maybe I've just been trying to fit myself into the wrong the wrong, the wrong box. I do, what I do do is I'll set a 20 minute timer. If mm-hmm. I have a deadline and I know I have to write, then a 20 minute timer is brilliant for me. That really does work. Okay. So you do like 20 minute sprints. Yeah. And I give, I tell myself after 40, if I'm not into it, I can go do whatever I feel like. And generally once, once I'm there 40 minutes, then then time starts to disappear and I don't set the timer anymore and it's all good. Yeah. And so sounds like there was a point where it wasn't feeling like a joyful experience, the writing so much. Oh, 
For sure. I mean, I really am. I love having fun. I like life to be fun. And I have a lot of I have horses, dogs, a bird. I have lots of friends. I, have, I like, we spend half of our time in, uh, we have a vineyard in, mm-hmm. and, and so it's hard to be, okay, I'm not going to be outside right now. Instead, I'm just going to sit and write. Yeah. Um, so probably that's the time I, I have realized that I have to say, I don't write in the summer. I I've, I usually let things slip in after saying that, but I am adamant now. I'm not going to write in the summer. Mm. And then that, it kind of makes things okay. But the summer is always when I have the problem with it. We do. I'm pretty close to you geographically. We have a, definitely have glorious summers. Yes. I imagine having a vineyard would in, really incentivize enjoying that quite a bit. Hey, you just want to drink your wine. <laughs> <laughs> Sit outside and read a book and... Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's lovely. And I love that you have this ritual you you're, you share with your daughter, right? It, yeah. No, you know, is that is really special. She is uh she's she's in university now, so she was home home for she's in university in Nashville. And she was home for Christmas and we did it. And she said we've been doing it probably since she was 10. Mm. And uh she said to me after we did it, she says, you know, I think I think I really know myself and what I want a lot more strongly than a lot of my peers. And mm. I think that this passion test is why. Wow. So I took the compliment. I think she was actually born knowing who she was and what she wants. But if she thinks the passion test helped, then I'll, I'll, I love that. Yeah. But maybe, maybe you didn't get in the way of that yeah. and muddle it too much as we do as parents. Right. Yeah. You know? No, it's a it's a great tradition though. It really that's my favorite New Year's thing. Yeah, and and what a gift for her to see, you know, her mother making those choices and being rewarded with those choices of choosing things that bring joy. Yes. No, for sure. Oh yeah, I guess I that 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 is a good point. She's she's watched me do it all these years too, and what has come from it, because I do pay attention to it when when for me it's when opportunities come knocking. Hmm. I have a tendency to get so excited about everything and then I say yes to too many things and Hmm. that's when you get really bogged down because I can always see the potential and I get so excited about stuff but having that passion test is a good check-in and and then you realize it's like okay that might sound exciting but that is not where I've chosen to direct my attention this year so Hmm. Look away, Terry. Look away. <laughs> so you're giving yourself permission to put things on the back burner that aren't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was just uh, I was just having conversation with a client about this very thing, right? Because we're so good at loading up our plates with with Terrible. these fun. Yeah. And yeah. like, what's your what? Do, what do you think your capacity is for creativity right now and doing projects? Like, how much can you manage? realistically you know it's so all over the board with me that i mean my days my days are kind of crazy i have a lot of people that i work with so there's a certain amount of time gets taken up with that Mm -hmm. love collaborations i love when people are working i don't like saying for me but i suppose that is what it is um i love finding out what uh, people are excited about and mm. where they're like, like, so pastry chef at Neverland, normal restaurants are like, this is what you're going to make, make it every day for a year. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not like that. I, I, I want to get excited about what we're creating. And I want to go to London and have high tea and be inspired by this or that. And then, so I spend an awful lot of time, uh, collabor- I guess collaborating, sort of like seeing what we come up with together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, and I wouldn't, if I take on too much, that sort of has to disappear and it feels irritating instead of enlightening. Yeah. Um, so I'm right now I'm, I'm in the process of negotiating for the first time ever, maybe doing, uh, a, I don't know if it's a rewrite. I haven't seen the contract yet or a polish or, um, it's a really good script and they just felt like I could maybe bring something to it. And mm. I like, I really liked the script, thought it was great, but I sort of saw where they thought I could bring, why I could bring something to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm considering doing that. I've said, yes, yeah, send me the offer. Um, and that I'm like, Ooh, will that make me stop? Will that, will that hurt? Will that hurt what I'm focusing on right now? Uh-huh. Uh, and I have to admit it wasn't in my passion past, yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. I figure if it's not, if it's just a small job, I can do it. So yeah, I don't have the answer to that. I think for me, it's trial and error and you never know because it's too hard. Like everyone always says like, are you free? Are you, you know, can you take this writing job? And mm-hmm. I'm really bad at gauging that. I don't know. I mean, if I say I'm going to do it, I'll do it. But I may be really cranky and not nice to be around, uh-huh. <laughs> which is never fun for anybody. Right. So that's almost like uh, like instrumentation on the dashboard to let you know. Yeah. I think mine is broken until <laughs> until I'm already speeding. <laughs> and so, okay, so let's say you're speeding. What do you do then? Um. Well, then I... I I think I am, I just become more focused. I mean, I can do it. If it's writing, honestly, the best thing for me is just to be alone and away from everyone that's used to my normal personality. Mm. It's really fun and happy. And, and if I get focused, then I'm focused. I get so focused and it does sort of detract from, from other people's enjoyment of me. Yeah. that's, that's a valuable thing to know, mm. right? And, and is that something you're able to ask for and, and get? Yes, no, for sure. And I, what I have uh, with Cassidy at, in Nashville, what has worked really well for me is she was only 17 when she first left and we're really close. So I, uh, I was stalker mom for the first year. <laughs> we had this amazing little house across the street. There was an Airbnb that we would rent because I wanted it to feel more like a home for her. Yeah. And uh, she, I would be there and she would go to class. And it, I, boy, could I write in that house. <laughs> it was because she'd be gone all day and I would have not, I would have no dogs. I'd have nothing, no, no husband, nothing to, nothing to distract me at all. My my son goes to school six hours away and he's eighteen. Oh wow! And I know I have that urge. Like he starts college really shortly, and it's like ah, I'd love to be able to go down and be close, yes, and do the helicopter parent thing. Yeah, yeah, no, it uh, it definitely. It's funny though. I didn't. So I was helicopter mom for the first. uh, Although I have to say, my style of parenting and Neil and I both, it's definitely not. And she's never required a helicopter parent. Mm. So it's more just being there. Yeah. And and so, but I thought, okay, you know, I I don't want to be that mom. So I'll, I'll, I won't go as much. And so she's in her fourth year now and I didn't go last semester. Mm. I, I, 
decided it was going to be once a semester and I didn't go. She was home for Christmas and she just went back. And I actually just went back last week. She just for a day, just for a day. And it was, it was, she was, she, she, she I think she needed her mom just yeah. to hang out and just because when she was home at Christmas, it was so chaotic and her house was full and she got back there and I think she was feeling lonely for me, even though she'd just been here. So I just mm. went for two nights one day and it made me realize that, that, that once a semester, just hanging out and seeing, letting her show me the place that she's fallen in love with yeah, was, was, was a good thing. A yeah. good thing for sure. And so like, how did being a parent during your writing career, like how does that impact your writing career and oh, your way you think about work? Yeah. It, it's funny. The, um, we, we, did a, it was when Sony decided to put District 9 forward for the awards, they, we had to do various, I guess, like on stage interviews for mm. different things. And we did one for the Academy. And it was, it was Charlto, Neil, and myself on the stage. And I forget who was interviewing us, but we, we, we had a class, we had a glass of wine beforehand. So <laughs> as we were doing all the interviews, I was like, pretty, pretty quiet. And, you know, Charlotte was a star and he was a director and nobody generally really wants to hear that much from the writer. So I was pretty quiet, but we may have had two glasses of wine before we went on that stage and the interviewer, and there was a ton of women in the audience and the interviewer asked me that question yeah. and two glasses of wine in and all these women in the audience. And I've never been so just open book. Yeah. And I just told everyone and it was the truth. Like it was, it was, and when you asked me in the beginning, what do you, what should people know about you? And it's like, I first and foremost, I'm a mom. I really am. I mm. absolutely love being a mom and being a mom changed who everything about me. And I just love, I love myself through, I just love what I've learned from her, how freeing it is to not care about all that other stuff that you cared about before you're a mom yeah. and district nine was all is to me when I, we actually, Neil and I just watched it the other day, fresh eyes. And I watch, I watch it. And it's like, Oh yeah, there's Terry, the mom. And <laughs> it's like that the little alien, Christopher Johnson would not have been in there if I wasn't a mom. Oh, really? So we started to write it and there were for a while we had some kids in it and then the kids weren't in it. And then I was like, I can't write this. There's nothing in it that, is like I need something at, at that point anyway that that I can relate to at this moment, and so mm. we invented well, him, and then and then Neil's like, no, we can't afford him; it's too expensive. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, no, because by that time, I to me it was so important to the script, like to yes. be in there. The stakes, and, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that that was all about Chappie is. Um, I mean, there's, I don't think you can watch it and not think that parents wrote it for sure. Um, yeah, no, I mean, and the children's, the, ch the children's, well, I got, she's the first one I shoot my, my, my draft off and she's, uh, cause she's doing music. She composes the, the music for the trailer and no, she's, I mean, she's writing songs now. She's taking songwriting. Yes. Nashville. Like, yes. Yeah. I mean, our house is just alive with, Oh, look, I just did this and shooting it off to each other in a group chat. It's just, so the, the mom part isn't, doesn't feel as uh, instructive as maybe being a mom used to feel. Yeah. Um, and now it's just, 
it's it's just you get excited to create to share right and yet there must be more lessons there and humanity to acquire yeah no for sure i mean i always felt like from the time she was born that i was always learning from her yeah always yeah cool now she can write you know songs for the next soundtrack I know. Yeah, no, I'm very excited to see what happens. Yeah, she can throw a rock and hit a recording studio and go wander well, in. The, and... Yeah, the school she's going to has, uh, the, all her classes now are in their recording studio. And she's, and she's always telling me who recorded there. It's like Elvis recorded there, Dolly Parton recorded there. It's like, she's pretty lucky. It's the school, it's Belmont, uh, yeah. Belmont University. And yeah. they, I cannot say enough good about that school. She's learned so much. Yeah. And songwriting is interesting because, you know, like you get to meet all these people when you're in that system. And, and in a lot of ways, it's easier to fail because if you write a crappy song, you've only wasted half a day or two days. I know. I have to admit, I was a little bit jealous at first. Like, what do you mean you finished two songs today? Right? <laughs> like, you know, I can write 200 failures and have one good song and I'm a success. Yeah, maybe that's why I'm doing the children's picture books now first. I was inspired by her, her lyrics because she was always out about the music. Like, she was just born like mm. wanting to compose and, and that type of stuff. So it was more, she got more to the lyric writing and she went to school. And that's where I was like, wait a minute, that's super profound. And, uh, and I love mm. it. It only took me that long. <laughs> yeah. Hey, maybe you'll have a music career you can follow in her footsteps. Yeah. No, I think I'll leave that one to her. I don't okay. know if she got her time. <laughs> 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 it wasn't for me, though. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad you talk about, like, what you can bring to a script and those lessons and in a way, I'm I'm kind of hopeful that you'll talk a little bit more about that because because I I get the sense that like this is some of what you're talking about and you're pushing for that is what made the work like of District Nine memorable and stand out and have some value beyond just the explosions and aliens and all that. Yeah, well, I mean, I I firmly believe that. I mean, I wouldn't be able to write. I really wouldn't. I, I guess I don't like writing because I would not be able to write if I wasn't either figuring something out about the world or myself or, or like there always has, it always has to be an exploratory something. I mean, mm. and with district nine for me, I mean, Neil was obviously coming from a place of apartheid because mm -hmm. uh, he grew up in South Africa. So he knew exactly. And also just growing up really badly wanting to see science fiction in the place he grew up. Mm. Um, and for me to be able to work on it, I, I mean, I approached it initially as you're supposed to be screenwriting 101. You're supposed to be presenting an argument for what you see as a solution to a problem, you know, your moral vision of what that would be. And I actually, I don't rarely slip into depression or melancholy, but I got really quite upset about really not seeing the grand scheme answer because history keeps repeating itself and it yeah. just. So for me, it wasn't apartheid. For me, it was it was the, the the xenophobia and the continuation of it, and how it just never stops. Yeah. And so my answer at the end, after many months of smashing my head against the wall, was like, you just have to like be kind to the person beside you. <laughs> and right. that's kind of really, I think, the theme that is always in everything I do. Yeah, and 
that's a great thing to know about yourself, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I think I think that I remember someone saying once in a writing class in my early twenties that everyone writes with one theme, and you won't know what it is until you're much older. Yeah. And I just remember being mad and thinking that's ridiculous. I can write with as many themes as I want. Why would I just have one? And <laughs> then all of a sudden one day, it's like, oh wait a minute. And at first I thought it was oppression because everything seemed to be about oppression. I was like, that is the weirdest thing for me growing up in Canada and mm. not being, not feeling oppressed. And, uh, and then I realized that maybe it wasn't quite that simple and it was about, about kindness really. I mm. think. And the, the books, I think the children's books are, are, that's kind of the message behind them all, all right. as well. And d- curious if you thought you got to choose what the theme your theme would be or if you know it just kind of hits you over the head after a while. I do not think you get to choose I don't I, I don't think I mean I'm happy that it's kindness that's quite nice but I think I would have wanted something a little more I don't know like that that's pretty simple yeah. <laughs> I would like to think I'm more sophisticated than that but apparently not <laughs> well I guess maybe humanity at its essence is simple yeah what were you exploring with Chappie? Do you remember what you were exploring? You know, Chappie came very much fully formed from Neil. And uh, it was definitely, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't robots. It wasn't AI. It was um, consciousness. Hmm. But that was his exploration. Hmm. I love that film. I know critics don't like it and there's a lot of people that don't like it, but I am very, very proud to have my name on that film and it worked out. Yeah, I imagine sci-fi fans appreciate it. There's not a lot of sci-fi movies that are made like that feel like sci-fi books, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that one. uh, Which is, I think, why these movies stand out for me is just because it's like, oh, wait, you know, every, I have to wait every five or 10 years for a movie like this to come out that actually feels like science fiction. Yeah, yeah. And not just like a horror movie in space or... Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although I, I, it's funny watching, re-watching District 9, and it's probably been about four years since I watched it, and I was like, wow, the gore and the violence in this film. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a bit, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty surprised. I was like, that's pretty. Because I, fa- I found that my uh, my threshold for watching violence in the mm. last few years has it's, it's if it's if it's well placed and it's there for a reason, then I can appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but some and that, it took me a while to figure out why what I could handle if it's gratuitous. Yeah. I I just can't deal with it anymore. Whereas it wasn't a problem for me before. So then looking at District 9, <laughs> like, wow, I better stop grandstanding about not putting violence in films. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it had a purpose. It was motivated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a certain style. <laughs> satire. It's satire. Even the violence in, in District 9 feels like satire to me. Yeah, I think that's yeah. legit. Yeah. And so, so for Chappie, it was Neil's thing and his exploration and so then as a co-writer who's supporting that like how does your mindset shift i mean at that point neil has become a sensational writer he writes and he writes and he writes and he writes and he writes um and he is just he's so good now um at that point in our collaborating i was the one that was better with structure and character development Hmm. so for that film 
that's more where I came in in right. sculpting his right. it, what he what he had come up with. Right, and so it was a support role, and he's kind of the yes no button. Yeah, yeah no. Whereas District Nine, like we it, we took a year to write District Nine, and we were really we were really in the trenches with both of us doing everything. Like it, yeah, it was more of a it was more of a mashup than uh, than Chappie. Yeah, and so kind of one eighty from that is writing kids' books, and you're you're making sure that you have these experiences that can inform it and have purpose and like does it take a long time to write one of these books or to think about it or I mean you have to to collaborate with an illustrator which oh my I'm so proud of my illustrator he is amazing so when I first got the idea for it I searched online for the type of visuals that I wanted because it's a little different than what we see nowadays It's, it's not really and now I understand why. But uh, <laughs> and so I looked and I looked and I looked and I found this image of a dog and a fox, and I was like, "Who did this? I need this. This is exactly those animals. They just have souls, and it's beautiful and it's magical. And and what language is that? And who is this person? And it took me a long time to track him down. But he's Ukrainian, and when I did track him down, he's a very busy uh ukrainian artist that does children's books and mm. i pitched him my idea and that it was free to raise money for animals and he i had to wait a year for him so mm. i said well could you do three books in a row and he is the loveliest human being and he just absolutely loves animals and he is so he has brought so much to it the next book like he did a great job with i gets lucky but the next book that's coming out is uh a pe- about a pangolin as pangolin gets away mm-hmm. and i think i was definitely a stronger writer so there's more uh, action to be illustrated mm-hmm. but he i, I honestly every time he sends me a page i just like I am giddy. I like he brings tears to my eyes. He has done such a good job. He's so good and he's so excited about the upcoming books. But so I write the first draft and I send it to him and he did the uh, character. We worked on character development for the first three books together. Okay. Then he did the sketches for the first book. And then while he was working on that, I honed and fine tuned the second one. Um, and I put it down for about a month. And then I'd go back to it because I had that time because that's how long it was to illustrate. Mm-hmm. Um, the third one I'm working on, I thought I had it done. And then I suddenly realized it's about the Okapi and they live in the Congo. And mm. all of a sudden I realized that my parrot is an African Congo gray and I have not written him into the story. That's just terrible. Oh, so no. now I'm like, taking it apart trying to insert my parrot into it and whether and and ivan also told me he i said what are there animals like i've just been really greedy and written what i want to write are there any animals from africa that you really want to illustrate and he sent me pictures of birds Uh and so i was like okay let's see if we can get a bird in that so i am taking that one apart right now Uh and i don't know if that's a good idea i'm curious to see i'm I'm doing what i would do with a screenplay which Mm -hmm. is which is I'm actually outlining it and dissecting it. Cause I realized that um, my screenplay uh, craft that I know in my head without even really thinking about it is in the children's books for sure. Right. You think, you think kids are going to read through and go, Hey, book three is like where the action really starts to hit. 
I don't know. They, you know, like no, they're not. See, it's not. It's not a series in the sense that it's the same characters. Yeah. So it's so they can pick it up anytime they want and yeah, based on no, their interest because the first the first one and, and these are we're talking picture books. They're getting read to the kids. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's uh, and the first one it's Madagascar and the second one is South Africa and the third one is the Congo. So it's different parts of Africa. But there are commonalities in it, like the last spread is all facts and how to draw the animals and activity type things, how to help endangered animals. Um, but I think that, I mean, I've been doing story time, so I've been going to, uh, uh, I'm going to be doing them at Indigo, the bookstore is up here soon. But, and doing the story times with the kids is really fun to see what they respond to. Hmm, that's good so that, testing, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Can you, I can't even imagine if I could go, to show someone a movie and then be like, okay, now I'm going to change this and that. Yeah. So that's been, that, that's been pretty. And they like to laugh. Kids like to laugh. Yeah. Yeah. And they like naughtiness. I can't help, but I, <laughs> I read to my daughter or Franklin books. I always made Franklin do terrible things. I always change the stories and there's, there's definitely, I'd say they're more, they're not, they're not traditional Canadian books. That's for sure. They're more UK like, um, where that there's a little bit of little bit little I don't want to say darkness, but there's a little bit of mischief in there, and the kids are responding so well to that. I'm being told that kids that don't like to be read to, that won't sit for stories, are asking for it again and again, and that to me is is job job done. Like that that was one of the goals for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And is that like when you? give feedback right or you're collaborating with your illustrator and you you feel like something's not working like what's fair feedback and like, you know what, what is it i haven't given him a single note yeah I you think that him. you think that's because you're you collaborating and it's an, he's equally invested or yeah i mean he we i expect i mean you always give notes i expected to have to give notes the only I was tempted to give a note. He, when he, the pangolin, there's a part in it where a hunter snatches him up and he gave the hunter a gun. And I, my instant reaction was like, Oh no, we can't have a gun in a children's book. And then I thought of, I decided to sit on it for a bit. And then I was like, you know what? It's like, that's real. Mm. <laughs> Hunters have guns in South Africa. And so I decided to leave it in and I didn't give him that note. Mm. And some people may get upset about that, but it's like, that's, yeah, that's a nice conversation opportunity. Which is that that's one of my main goals of this. Well, I have, I have a couple goals, but is that it's a fun, they're funny stories and it's a it's a fun, easy, comfortable way into a very scary, difficult conversation that you can have or not. But I find sometimes that some things are just so like like I always always wanted to start a charity and I always wanted to help animals. And I never knew how because nothing ever seemed like it was big enough mm. and everything seemed, I tried to do a documentary and that got me depressed. So <laughs> this is a fun, happy way to introduce people to the concept um, uh, that there are endangered animals. And it's funny, the adults, and because I'm choosing animals that people, I'm trying to choose animals that nobody knows they exist yeah. so, or that they're misunderstood. And so uh, parents are learning and it's yeah but it's it's i'm hoping it's it's a fun nice way in yeah that's awesome well for people who want to find about more about what you're doing or get a hold of you what's a good way 
Uh, well, we have a website, so it's endangeredandmisunderstood.com. Um, to reach me, the uh, best way I have, I'm on Twitter. So mm. at Terry Tatchell, T-E-R-R-I-T-A-T-C-H-E-L-L. Um, and then Endangered has its Facebook and, and uh, Instagram, has, I think is how I Yeah, Instagram and Twitter and uh, Pinterest. I'm discovering Pinterest. That's, that's really fun. Actually works really well because you can just post pictures of animals. It's like, oh, this is me working, looking for cute animal pictures. And post pictures. <laughs> I've got to say, like, getting a hold of screenwriters is a whole nother ball game than getting a hold of authors. Yeah. It's, it requires a lot more legwork. Yeah, no, we're used to being shut up and, uh, and well, I mean, and even before it's like, if you're going to talk, it's because we have to keep everything so secret. Mm. We're not allowed to talk about what we're working on ever. And so then you feel rude and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a secret. I really don't like that about being a screenwriter. Yeah. Well, Terry Tatchell, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Such a pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed it. And I will enjoy continuing listening to all of your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Yay. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.